Hello there and welcome once again to another episode of Thought Architecture. My name is Justin and in this show we take you through mental frameworks, mental models, you know, all the good stuff to allow you to take a look at what's under the hood of your brain, how you're behaving, like you're behaving, why do things work the way that they do, what is the mechanism of the mind, I think is a good way to say it. And if you hear, you might hear my dog actually woofing in his sleep as he sleeps on the bed behind me. Um, yes, I'm recording this while being a a dog dad, shall we say, you know. So anyway, um, let's get into it. So today's episode, I wanted to talk about this. I uh, frequently have conversations with people, with clients where they talk to me and they say, oh, you're just, you're such an academic, you know, you're so academically minded or something like that. You know, I prefer something a little bit more spiritual. And I kind of laugh at them because spirituality was actually the beginning of my journey. And I realized that I actually don't share um any of my beliefs or spiritual uh, spiritual beliefs. Okay, so I think what is a good idea, first of all, is to look at what is the definition of the word spirituality, so we can kind of agree to move on this. Okay, it of course shifts and everything like that over time as, as everything does, naturally shifting, okay? But the idea with spirituality is that people find spirituality a way to talk about that they are interested in what happens after death or how life works, basically, like what is the, the connection of the universe and greater meaning. But it's away from religion and especially indoctrinated religion, especially, um, you know, institutionalized religion. So they say things like, well... Uh, I'm Christian, but I'm more spiritualist, or uh, I'm more of a spiritual Christian. So what does that mean? Well, you accept certain things about the Christian faith, but you don't go for the institutionalized doctrine. You don't necessarily go there. So again, the the idea of the word spirituality, uh, as it's defined here, is the recognition of a feeling or a, a sense or a belief that there is something greater than one's self, something more than just a sensory experience um, that there's a greater whole that we are a part of and so in saying that like i find it interesting because i think a lot of people who define themselves as spiritual are defining themselves as such because they actually want to identify with something bigger than themselves they want to feel like they belong and so a lot of the time like it's very difficult to get consistency out of people who identify themselves as spiritual um, usually the if you ask them to define what is being spiritual or what is spirituality to them the definition comes out as like a patchwork of beliefs that are taken from stuff that just sounds cool to them and that's that so oh it's a little bit of like the chakra systems and a little bit of like you know qigong and some breath work and some you know plant medicine work and oh connecting with this culture and that culture so there's nothing necessarily unified about identifying a spiritualist other than defining yourself against institutionalized religions or the given religions so i'm in favor of this I'm a huge believer of this, of, okay, cool, the first step of exploration is usually a rebellion of what's given to you. And so for me, I would say that spirituality is usually people are rebelling against what is the conventional uh, wisdom that's out there, that's given to them, okay? So great, cool, people are in this exploration. And I, too, was in this exploration, okay? I was definitely in this place where, for me, spirituality was defined by... Um, the flow of energy in things. And at the time, I was practicing a lot of uh, Chinese um, systems, you know, Qigong, Tai Chi, all the energy work there. I was practicing breath work um, 
as was explored in certain um, Hindu beliefs as well. I remember uh, reading a book about uh, breathwork from a, a Hindu monk, actually. And that was fantastic. That was like probably the most in-depth breath breathwork book I've ever read in my life. Um, yeah, there were a lot of philosophies that influenced me, but none more so than uh, a form of like Taoism. Okay, and at the time I was obsessed with searching for someone who could teach me proper energy work. That is, being able to utilize the energy that was out in the universe, so that I could like, for example, like knock someone over with the energy from my hands and this was a romantic idea that was kind of given to me by watching too many cartoons perhaps or too many reading too many books about magic and magicians and things like this and so I really wanted to harness this energy where you know I could um, you know channel energy into a person and heal them or channel energy into an attacker and make them shit themselves or something like that you know it sounds dumb of course but Romantic notions, when we pick them apart, do sound dumb, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're stupid, you know? The idea was that I wanted to connect with an energy that I felt permeating throughout everything. So, what did I do? Well, I, I traveled. Uh, my initial idea was to go to China to find a master, you know, because that's where all the legends come from. And at the time, I was studying a martial art that largely was talking about this, being able to find masters and prove yourself to this master, and blah, 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 blah. So I did this, and uh, initially I tried to get into China, and I was told, well, you don't have a university degree, a bachelor's degree, so you can't go to China, but don't worry, we can fake it for you. And I'm like, I don't know, lying to the Chinese government. Even at the time, it wasn't so extreme. I was like, I'd rather not. I'd rather not do that. That sounds uh, pretty risky to me. So second best option was Indonesia, and at the time, I knew nothing of Indonesia, absolutely zero. I didn't even know where it was on a map, really. I just knew it was somewhere in Southeast Asia. So uh, I said yes, without knowing anything about the country, the language, the people, whatever. And I was like, I'm going to go there. Clearly, the universe is pointing me in that direction. Before I went there, in South Africa, uh, my family, my extended family, they see a woman who is a psychic, psychic, let's say, quote unquote, psychic. Um, and uh, they go to her for advice and guidance and validation and all the good stuff. And of course, like, you know, for me, I am very skeptical about quote-unquote psychics. Uh, a lot of it, I think, is showmanship. It's cold reading. It's your ability to determine what a person wants to hear or what's challenging to them, something thoughtful for them, etc. Um, and so the way that I take it is, okay, cool. It's just someone who's going to be very bold in giving me advice. And as I found it, this woman actually gave good advice. She gave me good things to think about. So, you know, coach, fine. You know, consider her a coach. And um, and she said to me something very interesting, which was, are you a master or are you a student? You know, there's two types of people in the world. There are masters and there are students. Are you a master or are you a student? Are you someone who follows or someone who leads? And I'm like, well, actually, I'm a master. But the contradiction there is that you've got to be both. You've got to learn how to be a master. No, not true. And she kind of asked me, she's like, I don't know, is it? And I find that the biggest cop out anyway, but I left it. And I, and I meditated on that. When I say meditated, I sat in quiet contemplation. Sometimes I did close my eyes, but I don't necessarily agree that meditation is closing your eyes. It's just a nice way to kind of cut that noise. But um, I contemplated that for a long time. I went to Indonesia searching for a master, you know, and I'm, there's a lot of books out there. I won't name any by name, 
But yeah, let's just say I read one book where there was a master in Indonesia who could cut bananas with the energy from his fingers and things like that. And I was like, really? Really? Okay, so I tried to find this guy as well and uh, no luck. And as a matter of fact, I found someone who actually shared that a lot of the stuff that this, this other master was demonstrating was parlor tricks like setting a newspaper on fire you know just with the power of his of his energy from his hand and he actually showed me that this is a technique where you you take a magnesium and you crumple it up and then uh, over like a couple of seconds of holding your your hand above the newspaper the magnesium actually flares in uh when it's exposed to oxygen you know the, just the, the air and creates fire the, the whole host of things like this that that are used and um and I was like, oh, shit. Okay, so approaching something with skepticism might be good. Regardless, Indonesia, spirituality, looking at all this stuff. And all the while, I, I was going inside myself on a regular basis. Indonesia for me was a period of time where if I wasn't working, I was at home in contemplation, meditation, uh, exercise, stretching, all of it. I was doing as much as possible to be on my own and try and separate myself out so I could deduce signal from noise. And what was interesting was that I kept trying to refine myself and refine the spirit and, and do these things that removed me more and more from society and become this monk-like person who was just above everything else because I had found truth. And it was on the, the Hindu Day of Silence. It was a public holiday in Indonesia. And I remember the Day of Silence, I'm like, I am going to be absolutely silent. I am going to shut off everything and I'm going to meditate for an entire day and do nothing but contemplate my place in the world. And that's part of when it hit me. Part of when it hit me is the idea of someone who dedicates their life to a type of spiritual existence. Why are they doing it? Why are they doing it? Why are we doing these things? What is the, the deeper motivation for going towards this type of road? And I found myself asking this question of selfish versus selfless. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal to, to consider and to think about within spirituality. The selfish nature of spirituality versus the selfless nature. And the balance between the two that needs to come out of it. Um, I made friends with a Tibetan Buddhist before I left london his name was kelsing powell um very cool guy he started a lot of thoughts in my brain and one of them was um told me the story about someone who converted to buddhism and as a result gave away all their possessions everything quit their job pretty much gave away their car to the person who needed it most all the clothes to the people who needed it most gave away their house to the person who needed it most and found themselves on the on the streets with no food no money, just the, the clothes on their back. And that was it. And and I was like, yeah, so what did this person do? Well, this person had to accept the charity of others. Basically, this person then said, well, Buddhism clearly doesn't work. Clearly doesn't work. Look at me. Look at where I am. I'm suffering now. In an attempt to help others out of their own suffering, I am suffering. So what is the moral of the story? Well, the moral of the story is the idea of like, you can't pour from an empty cup, okay? You cannot help others if you cannot help yourself. There is a certain amount of wisdom in that to contemplate. And I started looking around at, quote-unquote, spiritual teachers. And a lot of the spiritual teachers that I knew 
couldn't help regular problems um, that regular people experienced. They couldn't help regular people, you know, just get the get more meaning into their lives. So just quick examples is the Shaolin monks, you know, they are monks. They live apart from society. They live on donations or um, they they only have enough food to live and then they separate themselves and their entire life is just living that lifestyle. Um, you know, Tibetan monks as well, monk on a mountain, this typical idea that we have of being uber spiritual is actually about removing ourselves from society. And if you think about it, the people who need the most help are usually the people who are suffering in the grips of, let's say, societal muck. And that was a big realization for me that actually walking this road to be more spiritual wasn't about refining the spirit energy within myself so I could shoot fire from my eyes and lightning from my ass, but rather about being able to help people who needed it the most. And those people who needed it the most are usually the people who are caught up in the muck of society who aren't necessarily looking for spiritual answers. They're looking for real physical answers out of everyday stress. So how do I help them the most? And that's what happened to me on the Day of Silence. Having this kind of like spiritual reawakening, as it were, where I realized that a good purpose to life is about trying to help others out of mud. That's it. And so starting from there, okay? Dedicating my life towards these things because dedicating your life towards the accumulation of wealth, well, you can't take it with you. Okay, cool. So what do you do? Help others. Okay, cool. And when you take a look at um, some of the thoughts that I was having after realizing this, like in the years to come, realizing that humans are tribal animals, we are co-created. And of course, the science backs this up. So that's why like, I sound very scientific, because I had these epiphanies, I had these intuitions. And then, of course, finding the science that actually says the same thing, where the science says, oh, by the way, we are co-created animals. You know, you are raised by your parents, you will accept a lot of things from your mom and your dad. You will you will take on a lot of their traits, a lot of their thoughts, their beliefs. You're conditioned into it. You're almost indoctrinated into a society that you grow up in. The language from the language you speak to the way that you think that people should interact with each other when they greet each other, all of it, all of it. What should you do when you're eating, when you're sneezing? You know, should you exit a room when you sneeze, or is a sneeze something to be laughed at with other people, or something to hide away from people? All of these things are indoctrinated into you depending on where you are. So ultimately, we are co-created. And we can choose to rebel against that, that, uh, that influence or just go with it. And most people kind of mix between the two anyway. They, they usually do what works for them, but they stay in societies where their, their indoctrination kind of works for them anyway. So cool. But the idea is that um, there's the spiritual gurus who tend to be influencers in the spiritual space are people who have removed themselves from the needs of the everyday people and the needs of the everyday people are usually dependent as well on how well their indoctrination or their conditioning actually solves their problems for them and so that's where it came up uh, for me that I was like well I want to help people that's what I want to do great how can I help people and that's been a question I've been uh, answering for years and years and years and it depended on my skill sets and my ability to help myself as well so for example one of the first groups of people that will accept your help is going to be uh, friends and family 
and they'll accept your help. When people accept your help as well um, as strangers, it depends on a whole host of things, whether or not they, they want your help or not. And that's got to do with their practice. So I started by helping my family first. Um, you know, my brother's uh, journey with addiction was a big one. And after coming back from, from Indonesia, I put him through rehab three different times. And I spent money on getting him uh, certain qualifications as well. And so now I have a belief of if a person is in financial need for a medical emergency or for education, I will help them. Absolutely, I will help them in those two places of need. But usually if it's from a place of, well, I want to start a business and I need money. Cool, no problem. How can I help you find that money? I'm not going to give you that money, but I'm, I'm totally supportive of you doing what you need to do to find uh, things um, in your life where you can develop skills to then get that money because even getting that money requires a certain level of discipline that you're going to need for business anyway so me giving that money isn't necessarily helping you in any case right so in certain regards there is this idea of how do i help people what are the best ways to help people and i was doing that with my family first and foremost and then after that i realized that a lot of people were coming to me for certain insights advice uh, perspectives and that's what I'm known for today as well. When people come to me and they're like, well, we want, we're caught in a mental loop and we want different perspectives on things. And that's, that's where I come in. And that's what uh, a lot of my coaching has been about as well, has been this idea of let's, let's take what you're doing right now and let's dissect it, let's deconstruct it so that we can see what's working and what's not working. And then what are there other perspectives that are out there? Well, I consume a lot of content and I consume content very fast and I'm able to see patterns in content. So when I do help people find other perspectives, I can offer them the perspectives of other people that are out there as well to see what aligns best with them. And so a lot of the coaching practice that I do actually works a lot more with upgrading people. Now, when I say upgrading people, it's people who are in need where their conditioned or indoctrinated kind of mindsets don't help them anymore and they are suffering. So I find that I actually am not necessarily helping people in spiritual means because spirituality is really open. There's a lot of flows out there. There's a lot of people who are speakers in terms of spirituality. So I don't touch on spirituality anymore, even though I have my own spiritual beliefs. Okay. Let's talk about spiritual beliefs. Belief number one is that um, we are all connected. We are the greater being. And so my effort in putting effort into other people, helping them, is actually the effort in humanity as a greater singular organism as a whole. Where is humanity heading? My beliefs about humanity, is a, uh, it's a spiritual belief about humanity, about us being a singular species that is moving towards a future where we have solved certain problems for ourselves and have found harmony with the environment. So harmony is a big, big, big deal. Harmony is a huge deal with regard to my spiritual beliefs as well. Okay. Um, and in that we can find like the Ten Commandments or, you know, very similar things where um, for humans to find harmony with each other, we need to find ways of not hurting each other being kind to each other. These things are genetically sequenced into our DNA. Why? Because I believe that that's part of our spiritual journey as well. We are connect to, connected to greater things as a whole. Absolutely. You know, we are influenced by the sun. But this could be as biological as it is spiritual. 
So I find it very difficult to differentiate the real world and a spiritual reality because I think that they're one and the same. Just like people who separate mind and body where I would say, well, actually, you cannot do this. You can't localize, you know, a piece of the brain and say, well, this is where thoughts come from. You can't do that because actually it's all your brain all the time interacting completely with all other parts of the brain as well. We can start to single out in these processes, we see these pieces of the brain much more active than others. But still, it's, it's like a whole body experience. It's a whole brain experience. It's a whole spiritual experience. So there's also a theory called embodied cognition. That is, your nervous system runs throughout your entire body. So even moving your body is, um, is your mind. It's not your body moving. It's your mind telling you know this part of your body to move. But because the nerves are in that part of the body, it's your mind talking to your mind. And your body is actually part of your mind you know, because your nerves are all around you. And then also nerves will signal chemicals and blah, 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 blah. So actually chemicals are just extensions of your nervous system and so are muscles are just extensions of your nervous system. So actually the mind and the body are one is a huge belief already. You don't need to bring them into harmony. They are already in harmony. The issue is really um, the way that we think about how we should interact, the indoctrination, the, the softer skills which comes in. And that for me is where I find true spirituality. Okay, so this has just been a little bit of an episode talking about myself, my own journey, exploring a little bit of spirituality and how I help people. If you're interested in finding out more, you can find me at justinnope.com. Um, you know, you could also just go to the show notes or you can go to the links below anything. And usually there's connection ways there. Easy ways are like things like Instagram and email and whatever, just private message. It's fine. Cool. Looking forward to connect. Let me know what you think. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts. And as always, I hope you are very well. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take care. Bye-bye.